The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody. You're watching Squawkbox, and these are your headlines. Services activity in China grows at its fastest pace in six months in February as Beijing gears up for the National People's Congress, where the Communist Party is poised to tighten its grip on key institutions. The Fed's Raphael Bostic backs a quarter-point hike, giving support to U.S. stocks and sending the two-year Treasury yield to its highest level in a decade, as he calls for a slow and steady approach. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken condemns Moscow's war of aggression as he meets Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov in person for the first time since the invasion of Ukraine. And oil prices on track for weekly gains spurred by optimism over China's reopening. But the Saudi Aramco CEO tells CNBC that as demand returns, underinvestment remains a big worry. With China opening up and uh, the lack of investment, there is definitely a concern in the mid to long term in terms of making sure there is adequate supplies in the, in the market. So, well, welcome to the program this morning. We focus on China from the start. The services activity in February accelerating at its fastest pace in six months, according to a private sector survey. Services PMI expanded to 55 last month, up from 52.9 in January, as China's exit from zero COVID reinvigorated consumer demand and job creation, as well as export orders. Well, of course, we know that there is a major event coming up this weekend, the NPC, and there are a number of uh, expectations around ultimately what the NPC is going to deliver here. The Chinese President Xi Jinping is is expected to vastly expand the Communist Party and his own presidential powers when the NPC starts this session. According to state media, the NPC is expected to approve Xi's plans for a, quote, wide-ranging and intensive overhaul of state entities, including those overseeing the technology and financial sectors. Well, China's new growth target is the big announcement investors will be looking out for, of course, expected between 5 and 6%. The country is looking to boost consumer demand and inward investment following years of strict lockdown measures. Defence spending will also be key, of course, amid heightened tensions with the United States over Taiwan and Washington's latest military activities in the South China Sea. And among the key personnel changes, Li Qiang is slated to be confirmed as the new premier. The former party boss for Shanghai is known for his pro-business style and is widely credited with uh, hastening China's exit from zero COVID. Well, Wei Yao is head of research and chief economist uh, for APAC at SOCGEN CIB. Wei Yao, nice to have you with us this morning. Well, let, let's just get your thoughts because I think we've laid out so far what the analysts think is going to occur over the weekend. 
Do you see any variance from the suggestions that we've made? And ultimately, what will this mean for the growth target? Well, the um, the expectation sounds about right to us. Indeed, you know, there are short-term matters, there are long-term matters. For the short-term matters, what to watch is, number one, the growth target. We expect a growth target of somewhere between 5 and 5.5. But I think, you know, anything above 5.5% will uh, indicate a very high level of confidence of the Chinese government, which is probably good for risk-on trades. Um, and uh, the short-term matter number two is obviously the fiscal support that will be revealed in the fiscal budget and the uh, local government uh, bond issuance quota. There, we don't have very high expectations, especially the recent data confirmed the recovery is already underway quite strongly. The third short-term matter uh, is, um, is, uh, is the tone and the stance toward the private sector. So I think what will help is to, to, to have this very pragmatic uh, pro-growth stance. That's, I think, all, all would be good for the, for the markets in the short term. With regards to the long-term issue of the government restructuring, the leadership team, um, well, I, I guess, you know, it depends on, you know, the, the, of course, the details we still don't know. Some of the details we still don't know. But the direction is generally more centralization of the power that we agree. Do you think that we will have underlying problems in the economy addressed at this event? For example, the high level of property-related debt, the high level of indebtedness in some of the provincial governments. These two issues, which would normally be as seen as a restraint on the opportunity to grow the economy faster, will they get looked at? And what do you think we will hear? Yeah, certainly. Um, these questions are very important for the medium term. In the short term, we think, you know, because the economy, well, especially the housing sector crashed basically last year. So there, there is bound to be some recovery this year, but it would not, uh, the recovery would not be so strong to really, you know, um, resolve the debt issue and not to mention the local government uh, fiscal position have significantly deteriorated in the past few years. Uh, so we do think, you know, the National People's Congress will uh, touch upon these issues, will, you know, will mention, you know, some very broad framework as in, you know, how we will continue to pay attention to the risk, how to de-risk these uh, debt issue. Uh, but we do not expect a lot of details there. Um, yeah, just to follow up, and good morning to you. Uh, just to follow on from Jeff's question as well, the PBOC has cut the triple R rate 14 times to um, less than 8% since 2018 as well. Uh, when will the PBOC feel confident enough not to handhold the economy to the degree it has done over the last couple of years? Because presumably, if we are going to be growing north of 5%, we don't need the PBOC uh, to do quite as much uh, handholding, or, or not, as the case may be. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. It would be totally logical for the PBOC to start to scale back some easing once the uh, when, once it, it's confident enough the recovery can stick. Uh, we are not there yet. We're not you know that confident yet. Uh, yes, the recovery in the consumption the service is a it has started. It's quite strong. Uh, the housing recovery is just starting and still a little bit shaky. I would say. So I think it's largely a function of the credit growth uh, and the housing recovery. So the next week, actually, in addition to the National People's Congress, on the data front, what's very important to watch is actually the, the credit growth. 
we we think um, maybe around Q2 or you know when we get to closer to the second half of the year, that will be the timing for PDOC to start um, normalizing its uh, policy. Um, yeah, that's the time we're looking at. And, and yeah, I look at these comments from the one of the deputy governors, Liu, uh, in the last few hours. And actually, if anything, we're going in the opposite direction. Rather than actually looking at potential tightening as the economy recovers, if anything, a modest easing seems to be expected. That would say to me they seem to be stuck in some kind of trap. Again, just pulling on what Jeff said as well, because they have so much debt in so many worrisome areas. Well, I think it's a timing issue. I mean, it, as I was saying, you know, the housing recovery is not yet secured. Um, I think it's appropriate, actually, for the PBOC to maintain some of the dovish stance for now. Uh, if anything, I, I think they're also waiting for the data for January and February combined, which will only, only be released in mid-March. Um, so you do need to give the economy a bit of time. With regards to the Leverage and debt issue, yes, it's a long-term issue, but there is also a question that do you continue to deliver the economy into a crisis? Obviously, that's also not an optimal choice either. Can I ask you about some of the changes we see on the ground? I mean, if we think about what's been impactful for the markets, it was this crackdown on technology. There's a fear now on the back of what we are seeing that uh, parts of the party, part and organs, party organs rather, as one commentator put it, could eat up uh, some of the state government bureaus. There's concern this could happen when it comes to finance, also around security. Just give us a sense of what sort of market impact some of this might have. I think the biggest shock to the market was already behind us uh, in terms of, you know, uh, realizing, you know, the tech sector, their growth is hitting some boundary set by the um, Communist Party. Um, what we are looking at now from here onwards is something more kind of long-term changes, um, hopefully with more predictability. I think the biggest issue for the market in the past few years was the policy uncertainty was was the shock and all approach, was the very brutal way of implementation. Whereas the long-term direction, I think um, most of the investors probably have no illusion, you know, uh, in terms of China wants want a different growth model or different way of managing the market than the, than the Western countries. I also want to ask you about the geopolitics here, because again, we've got more action by the Biden administration to ensure that some of the, the high technology chips are not going into Chinese entities and then across to Russia. That uh, has been tightened again overnight. Also concerns that the Chinese will actually actively sell high grade weapons to the Russians. As we look up to the NPC, what ramifications could there be around the geopolitics? Well, um, for the geopolitics, uh, what you mentioned about semiconductor and some of the other events, it's just a continuation of the trend that we already, uh, what that already started uh, several years ago, which is you know, uh, fundamentally the US and China are locked in long-term competition, if you would call it that way. Um, so, so I think it's also becoming uh, quite apparent that this trend will not change uh, in any meaningful way uh, in the coming years. It may only deteriorate, possibly, from time to time. I think China has no illusion there. You know, the U.S. will change its attitude and vice versa. So what it means for China is that its economic policy will have to continue to focus on how to, um, how to kind of, you know, help China's tech sector to move up 
despite uh, all these tax sanctions from the U.S., which means you know all these sectors that have been highlighted so many times as the, as the key priority um, for the Chinese government, those sectors will continue to receive a lot of help from the government. Wei Yao, it's been a pleasure catching up. Thank you so much for, for joining us this morning from Hong Kong. Wei Yao, Head of Research and Chief Economist for APAC at SOCGEN CIB. Um, let me just point out, there is a story about what all this means for equities on our website. Go and have a look. Chinese stocks have a bit of a track record of picking up steam on the back of the annual National People's Congress. So you can make up your own mind as to whether that's people rushing in because they're enthusiastic about the policy changes or whether there is some support, perhaps, from those who are loyal to the Communist Party. Whatever your conclusion, you can read about what strategists are looking out for on the website at cnbc.com. Just looking at some pictures from a couple of days ago of the new first and business class offering for Lufthansa. Apparently offering... Really, that's how you spend your time these days, is it? <laughs> Apparently offering Just... <laughs> doors is, is the next doors. Uh, frontier. Doors. doors. So putting doors in closed areas, double suites uh, right. being offered in first class, doors on the seating in right. business class as well. doors in first class for in a very first. long time. But not necessarily in business. <clears throat> so I'm just looking at these pictures of now. Well, you have those funny shutter things across. that go up and down sometimes right. where you argue with the, the other person exactly. about whether you want the privacy screen up or the privacy screen down. Most of us want it up, don't we? Especially if you're travelling with your family. <laughs> 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 the point. Or is definitely. There, there is that old executive trick. <clears throat> What's that? Well, you know, if you're, if, uh, Karen's done this, I know. Right. If, you, if you're, if you're travelling with the family, you know, yes. you might have accumulated some uh, loyalty points, kind of yes. thing. Yes. You pop up the front, and the kids go at the back. Right. Right. It's been done. Has it been done? Yeah, you've done it. No, I, have, I don't think I've done that. But you have. Um, I do know that um, there is a. <clears throat> There is, there is an unofficial rule here that if you're travelling with colleagues, you make sure you mix up the seats so that you oh, never end never up sitting ever next, sit to next to them. Never, ever sit next to colleagues on a plane. That's pretty awful. Awesome. Yeah. Not the done thing. No, I mean, it's not the done thing. You, know, you might you, have to talk to them. Well, that, and that's the trouble. Can you imagine being stuck on a, a, a sort of 13-hour flight out to, to Asia? Although back in the day, <clears> I've got to be honest, me and the, and the head of news, we did, uh, we did crack on on the back of a very long outside broadcast right. And, right. and had a bit of red wine sure. on, the, on the plane. So you got beyond how's your family and uh, what's, what's going on in your life? Well, thankfully, there are doors now. Deep, so deeper that's issues, thing. right? If you run out of options, you just get the door there's and close doors. the door. Doors. So the whole point here is that there's how a product a I know refresh. how business is configured. I can't see you have a door. Go look at the pictures. But there's oh. a product refresh, which tells you something about the profitabilities uh, around long-haul travel. Don't forget, we've been through the COVID era. The, the long-haul flights have been difficult to get back. And I think it signals just where this airline intends to go. Now, the number's crossing from the business today. Four-year revenue, $32.8 billion versus $16.8 billion, same time a year ago. You can see the direction of those numbers uh, for the final, for the full year. In terms of adjusted EBIT, $1.5 billion versus minus $1.7 billion, same time a year ago. So big step up from negative numbers to positive. The EBIT margin, 4.6%. Net income, 791 million euros versus minus 2.2 billion, same time a year ago. Passenger numbers more than doubled over the course of 2022. In terms of what we are seeing uh, for the company, demand for flights to and from North America is also high. 
popular destinations are Spain, Italy, Greece, other Mediterranean countries. I'm not sure that's any surprise. Demand for travel during Easter, Hang summer on. vacation German periods. Travelers is go particularly to Spain robust. and Greece <laughs> and Southern breaking Europe. Breaking news, breaking news. Oh dear. Well, there you go. We'll never be able to get a deck chair. <laughs> The towels will be on the back. Set the alarm early over the course of summer again. Uh, so I think, yeah, we're learning that the Germans will be travelling and out in force again this year. Absolutely, and good luck to them. Um, look, um, I've just spent a bit of time just, just reconfirming something I thought I knew. And Raphael Bostic isn't even a voting member this year. But everyone's just hanging on to his ex only in every single word. And coming up on the show, the reason I mention this is because the Fed's Raphael Bostic calls for a slow and steady rate hike. Or series of pushing equity markets higher, apparently. He's not even voting this year, apparently, according to my research. Uh, but could mixed earnings from US retailers signal a looming recession? Do you have a chat afterwards? A podcast, any good? Uh, well, there's a lot on the Chinese economy, which is going to be worth listening to, and what happens with the NPC, and also what are the do's and don'ts when you're travelling with colleagues or family on the old airplane. We'll be right back, everybody. Stay with us. That's the podcast. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. U.S. initial jobless uh, claims dipped by 2,000 to a seasonally adjusted 190,000 below the 200,000 mark for the seventh straight week and also below expectations, which is a good thing in reality. Uh, continuing claims fell by 5,000 in the week ended February 18th. Well, the Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic gave U.S. stocks a boost or at least some support, when he said he's firmly in favour of sticking to quarter-point hikes. Fed Governor Chris Waller warned that if the data stays hot, rates will need to go above 5.4%. He said the fight to tame inflation would be slower and longer than expected only a month or two ago, with revisions showing the central bank hadn't made the progress perhaps it hoped for. So that... Um read which is widespread and it's exactly what's being said about the market is just not right is it i mean like well i mean it's not accurate for why the market rallied on the back of what bostic said i.e and again i've got i've got the board of governors in front of me the voting members as well and bostic's not even one of them to start but the market knew all that anyway the market thought it knew that rates were potentially going to 5.4 percent ergo the waller and the market thought it knew that Bostic and others were going, where well, the market was favouring, the Fed was favouring a 25 basis point hike next time round because we've already retreated from 50 in terms of the rhetoric and everything. So, so what's the new news there? Where's the new news? Why are we trying to? Re I mean, and don't get me wrong, it's accurate. Our producers have accurately portrayed what people have said to them and what the copy says. Mm. But, but 
it's just for the market rally yesterday. I mean, I'm sure there was a hundred other things going on, but that is just not accurate. That that is new news. But the market's been piece. listening to the Fed members for a while now. I mean, they've been uh, fairly hawkish on their language, and yet the market was assuming that we pretty much had most of the work done. That in fact we'd get some rate cuts. So I think the, the listening has been uh, fairly lame when it comes to what those cues had been from the Fed. I also too would question whether in fact we saw market reaction. What you did have early in the week was the market reacting to the data. Very hot numbers. You've seen that yield push through levels we've not had for a long time. And I think perhaps you've had trading around those levels, perhaps some technical trading. I think that's what you're seeing a reaction to, not necessarily the latest speak from a non-voting Fed member. I absolutely agree with you. I think it is always a bit of a task to try and connect specific events to the performance of the market in any given session. But the fact we've had a number of down sessions probably means we were due for a little bit of bargain hunting. The reality, of course, is that yesterday's gains were also in the face of higher yields across the Treasury curve, which I think is is encouraging for the bulls who would like to believe that there are opportunities to re-enter the market and that actually there is the opportunity for a last drink in the OK Corral before the gunfight starts. Because the... You know, the the overriding um, uh, messaging still, I think, from the institutional investing community is that we are having a recession. We are going to see further sideways or downwards movement from equity markets and that you should be moving wholesale into the bond market for protection. And you should be putting your hard hat and getting ready for that. But I think there is a constituency out there that still believes there's an opportunity here to make some money in equity markets well, before is. we get a bigger sell. I hope there is because there's a very active management out there that charge a lot of money for it. But look, I mean, I'll just go back again. I've got this wonderful chart in front of me that says whether people are deemed as hawks, neutral or dovish. And I just want to reiterate the point. Just because, so Waller, who is on the Board of Governors and is a voting member this year, is seen as a hawk and said we're going to 5.4%. Well, that's, again, you know, not particularly hawkish, but mildly hawkish, I guess. Um, Rafael Bostic is seen as a dove and is in a non-voting district of Atlanta uh, this year as well and said, yeah, I think I'm in favour of a quarter point hike. So, again, I think people are clutching at stores, uh, straws for the the underlying rationale. And I agree. I think the data is yeah. fascinating at the moment and is not conclusive. I, your initial jobless claims and the four-week rolling figure as well is unambiguously dovish. But let's be honest about it. This is all the, the order of the canapé at one of Karen's swanky dinner parties or something before we get to the main event, uh, you know, the Chateaubriand yes. next week, which is the payroll report. Yes. Let's just throw in another piece of evidence. I thought this was very interesting because you look at the flow data to try and get a decent yep. read mm. on what investor intentions are. And there was some useful fun flow data out of Lipper for the week ended March the 1st. And it indicated money market funds attracted $55 billion of fresh inflow. That's a top 20 all-time weekly total. The implications of that, the fact that money market funds were the only group to log inflow for the third week straight, where equity funds were down a negative 13.5 billion, taxable bond funds were down a negative 1.7 billion, and tax-exempt bond funds down 905 million. All outflows, it clearly suggests that there is a repositioning going on here, and it's a repositioning that suggests that slowly the retail audience is buying into the institutional message. I think the market is also looking at its own information points. And don't forget, we had a, a fairly large outing from the retail sector 
this week and they were showing us exactly what that consumer behaviour looks like. I thought there was a stunning remark from Kroger's CEO saying that consumers are already behaving as if they're in a recession. This is exactly the type of demand cooldown that the market's been waiting to hear. They've had hot labour market numbers, even the overall print for January from the retail side, that was strong, not suggesting that the cooling is coming. But when you see the anecdotal evidence, the company reports, the company dialogue at this point about what's happening right now, that trading down is happening. It's food, it's necessities, uh, even Costco, and then thought that was fascinating yesterday. The people are not buying some of the big ticket items, they're still going in bulk for the food. So there is that trading down. And that is exactly the sort of signal that you want to get, that the Fed is getting ahead of inflation, that consumers at some point are starting to react to the higher interest rates. I think that was the welcome news if we're talking about a market reaction to some positivity, uh, positive news yesterday. Um, it was the, the retail Very uh, quickly, conversation. Well, I'm going to... Oh, I didn't really know I was going to disagree. Go on, disagree. Go on. But, but, but I, I, I actually looked at broader markets yesterday and I thought, well, you know, S&P was up, is up 0.3% for the week. It's all right. Nothing very exciting. Have you seen what the transports have done this week? They have skyrocketed. So we've been led by the transports. And if, you know, we, we talk about yeah. the, the Dow theory, in my view, if, 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 yeah. if the market's saying anything. So add your Lipper theory, um, or your flows, I beg your pardon, yeah. to the fact that the transports have rallied. And you've got, yet again, a very confusing picture. And steel. If you look at the, uh, what was the Vanex Steel ETF, four positive sessions in a row, trading up 7% for the week. Uh, just, uh, just on the point that you were making, though, there's one thing. You said get ahead of inflation. This, this is what the Fed needs to see. If, let me, let me just throw in the coda, if the Fed's analysis of the way to cool this kind of inflation is correct, because we're assuming that you crush demand to, to, to kill inflation this time round, is that, is that actually the right solution, given that this was initiated by the China lockdown supply chain problems and cost, uh, dip, I, I would say a cost push but largely rather than demand that. pull. But it's, it's morphed into demand pull now. I think we, we see those factors, don't we, from the, the product side first up to the services side. There's been a broadening up from the supply issues. I think some of that has been corrected what, at this what point. What you buy Inventory that to you want at retailers. the moment? What, what can you not buy? Tomatoes in the UK, apparently. <laughs> apparently. apparently. But there were plenty in the supermarket I went, to, went into yesterday. Eggs but but what can you not get your hands on now? Is there anything easier in the world to, to grow at home than tomatoes? There's a question. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.